from the Virginia Foundation for the Humanities. This is Backstory with the American History Guys. Welcome to the show. I'm Brian Ballow, 20th century guy, and I'm here with Ed Ayers. 19th century guy. And Peter Onuf's with us. 18th century guy. In the summer of 1863, the small town of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, rotted. In many instances, arms and legs and sometimes heads protrude. This is a letter from Gettysburg Judge David Wills to the state's governor about the fetid corpses that lined the streets. And my attention has been directed to several places where the hogs were actually rooting out the bodies and devouring them. The Civil War battle that had raged in July had left some 5,000 dead and the tiny town uprooted. And historian Harold Holzer says it was Will's job to put things back together again. David Will's main purpose, after he gets the dead temporarily buried and off the ground, is to create a final resting place, as Lincoln would put it, that would do honor to the unidentified fallen. But Wills also knew there would be an even more difficult job, to give people something to remember Gettysburg by other than death and destruction. What he came up with was this, a high-profile event to dedicate the new cemetery there. He'd gather notables from around the country in Gettysburg to memorialize the cemetery. It was a brilliant PR conceit to have a massive event, if for no other reason, that the war hadn't ended at Gettysburg. There was a great feeling that this was an event that would not only do honor to the fallen, but would create a precedent for how properly to honor uh, Union casualties. At that time, the centerpiece of an event like this would be a speech. And so who would he invite to give this address at Gettysburg? to say the words that would echo for decades to come. Well, the choice was clear. There was only one person who came to mind, and that was Edward Everett. Standing beneath this serene sky, overlooking these broad fields, now reposing from the labors of the waning year. If you were looking for one person who would draw crowds and draw attention, and be uh, up to the demands of this great occasion. It was Edward Everett of Massachusetts, who was, as Lincoln put it, probably more famous for being famous than anybody in the country. He had been president of Harvard, a senator, a governor, ambassador to England, a vice presidential candidate, and very famous for giving public speeches from memory. So he was the obvious choice. Ten coffins of funereal cypress receive the honorable deposit. As it turned out, Wills was right. November 19th, 1863 would be remembered for generations, but not because of the two-hour speech Everett gave that day. It was a two-minute follow-up by President Lincoln that would go down in history. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, This is the earliest recording of the Gettysburg Address that we were able to find. It's from a commemoration in November 1913, the 50th anniversary of the actual speech. As for what the speech would have sounded like and looked like when Lincoln delivered it, well, we don't really know. And here, Harold Holzer says the documentary record doesn't really help. One eyewitness claimed he rode to the cemetery in a noble Charger. Another said he rode in a horse that was so small for his long 
legs that his boots were practically dragging along the ground. Some eyewitnesses said he was received with tumultuous cheers. Others said there was a sort of a grave silence. And what about the famous words themselves? Well, early writers claimed that Lincoln dashed them off on the back of an envelope on the train ride to Gettysburg, while others say he struggled with them for weeks. Even today, historians continue to debate the meaning of those words in their own time. Some say people would have understood them as being all about union, while others argue that they were clearly about emancipation. But most agree that regardless of how the speech was understood, it didn't really stand out as especially important in its own time. So how did it become so famous? And how do other speeches that are big hits in their own time fade from the memory of later generations? 